Today on Blue 58, the Packers don't necessarily need another edge rusher, but they can't really ignore the position either. That's why it could be time for Brian Gutekunst to duplicate his free agency strategy and go bargain hunting. And fortunately for the Packers, there are bargains to be had in the draft. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. I'm very happy to be with you here for another episode. If it looks like this episode is dropping into your feed at a bit of an unusual time, you are not mistaken. As I'm recording this, it is just before 3 in the afternoon on a Monday, and it's going to go up shortly after I finish recording it. Uh, Usually we record Tuesdays and Thursdays. Coronavirus is making things weird for everybody. So last week did not get to get into the studio as much as I thought, but fortunately the schedule has cleared up quite a bit this week. So I think it may be actually be a three-episode week. We'll see exactly how things play out. Certainly no less than two, though. Uh, and there's a lot for us to talk about, despite the sports world all but grinding to a halt. The draft is still looking like it's going to go on in April. I'm not entirely convinced that's going to happen. We'll see. Um, the NFL has navigated this, I think, well, but a little bit strangely. Mike Florio of Pro Football Focus, not Pro Football Focus, excuse me, Pro Football Talk, said that allowing free agency to go on would be a huge mistake for the NFL. I don't think that has really been borne out. I think it's, it's proven to be kind of a big blessing for the NFL to have the calendar cleared entirely for NFL news. And that's all there has been in the world of sports has been NFL news for the last couple of weeks. And the Packers have been making some of their own news as we transition out of apologies into actual actual content here. The Packers have made a couple moves of their own in free agency since we were lashed together, namely bringing back a couple of their own. They re-signed Mercedes Lewis and they re-signed Will Redmond. Uh, Lewis, to me, seems like a no-brainer. They need bodies at tight end and more, more to the point, they need competence at tight end. And no matter how high I think you are, on Jay Sternberger or Robert Tanyan, I think you probably would agree with the idea that the Packers could still use a little bit of help at that position. And I don't think the Packers are going to be super eager to spend a draft pick on a tight end this year. Maybe, maybe not, it, it, at least not early. Not a guy who's going to contribute and be your, your lead guy right out of the gate. So they need help here. Lewis provides that. He's one of those known commodity type players. He's not going to win games or lose games for you necessarily, but you know what you have with him, and what you have is pretty good. More of a blocker than a receiver at this point, but he gets things done in the passing game in limited roles. I'm less convinced that Will Redmond is the exciting signing that I've seen a few people make him out to be on Twitter. And I think that's a smaller pool of people than than that statement even makes it sound like. I don't think there's a ton of people out there that are like, great, got Will Redmond back in the fold. This is excellent. He's primarily a special teamer, and I know special teams guys are valuable. They're also fairly replaceable. So good that you have what could be your best special teams player back for 2020. If you end up cutting him in training camp, it's not that that big of a deal either. The other free agency puzzle I would like to spend a couple minutes talking about is Clay Matthews. I've seen the Clay Matthews to Green Bay conversations going on. And I think we should have that conversation too. So he's released by the Rams late last week. And I think there's a natural proclivity to see, say, hey, the Packers could use a little help with the things that Clay Matthews does. 
why not just bring them back to Green Bay? Always adding in the caveat that, well, if the price is right, of course, and of course that, that is that is the consideration on all free agents. Yes, if the price is right, you should bring that player in if you like him. If you can get anybody at a good price, you should probably bring it, probably bring him in. So, Clay Matthews. On paper, I think the Packers signing Clay Matthews would be a real good idea. And I think that for a couple reasons. First, he's a, he's a stabilizer. If you get him out there and if he's close to the player he was even in 2018, if he's like 80% of that player, I think I think there is a case to be made for bringing him back because the things that he can do, he does still fairly well. Rushes the quarterback when you scheme him into position. He's still a pretty good athlete. Uh, he can line up in a variety of different linebacker spots. And we saw that even with McPetton in 2018, the, the end of the of the Clay Matthews tenure in Green Bay. I think he could be sort of that stopgap player. On top of that, Mike Pettin likes to use three pass rushers at a time, usually one defensive lineman, three rushers, and then however many defensive backs you have left. Sometimes two linemen, three three rushers, some some variety of that. You get it. He could be that third of three edge rushers, along with Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith, you have Clay Matthews there too. Picture a scenario where Zadarius Smith bumps inside, like on a third down, then you've got Clay Matthews and Preston Smith rushing from the outside, probably a hybrid linebacker safety type as another as another linebacker out there, and then however many defensive backs you need to fill out that formation. That's kind of tantalizing on paper. The problem with the Clay Matthews to Green Bay sort of discussion is that there's a whole lot of other stuff going on here. Sure, Clay Matthews said after 2018 he'd be interested in coming back to the Packers, but since then the Packers drafted Rashawn Gary, gave him Clay Matthews' number, and just kind of said, you know what, I think we're good here, and moved on pretty definitively from Clay Matthews. So there's that. There's also the idea that we're assuming he would be interested in playing some sort of off-the-ball linebacker role, even in that triple pass rusher alignment, there are going to be situations where he's not rushing the passer. He's going to play more of an inside linebacker type role. And if you read back on on what he said about his year and a half as an inside linebacker, it's pretty clear that Clay Matthews is not the world's biggest fan of that idea. He would do it in a pinch and he should get all the kudos in the world for stepping up where the Packers needed him the most and playing that position for as long as they needed it, but it's not what he wanted to do. And I understand getting him to do that when he's already on your team, but I think there's a bigger obstacle than most people are are accounting for with pitching him on that as part of his return to Green Bay. Hey, Clay, you didn't want to do this while you were here, but now that you're out of a job, would you like to come back here and do that primarily? That seems like a difficult pitch to me. I think if I'm Clay Matthews, I'm going to look at an opportunity or look for an opportunity with a team that plays a 3-4 defense that needs a, a traditional edge rusher type player and that's probably willing to give me in the 6 to $10 million a year range. None of those things seem really like the Packers, just the, the first one nominally at the very least. I, I'm not sure the role exists there for Clay Matthews, as, as fun as it would be to see him back in Green Bay. Plus, then you'd have to figure out what what jersey number you put him in anyway, and that's an entirely different ball of wax. So, 
as fun as it would be, I don't think Clay Matthews is making his way to Green Bay anytime soon. But that's not to say that an edge rusher shouldn't be making that trip. Because the Packers could use one. Most of last year, they went with some amount of snaps divided by four edge rushers. You had Preston and Zedaria Smith, obviously. You had Kyler Fackrell, and bringing up the rear was Rashawn Gary. At the very least, they need to plug one person into that group. So who is that sort of person going to be? I think there's a couple things we can do to identify some prospects. And it's going to boil down to some of those advanced metrics we talked about. We've talked about all throughout our pre-draft process. For edge rushers, we're going to be looking primarily at relative athletic score and production ratio. Relative athletic score, of course, is that out of 10 number that says how athletic you are compared to your peers at your position. Production ratio is your sacks and tackles for loss divided by the amount of games you play. Ideally, you want over one um, in that ratio. We're doing this to kind of develop a pool of players who could be of interest to the Packers. And I think we've got a pretty good group of five to six guys that I think could be of interest to the Packers. However, unlike I did with wide receivers, I need to start up top by talking about a few guys who do not show up in our discussion here. First off, the two big guys at this position group in the in the draft, Chase Young and Clavon Chasen. Um, I think it's pretty obvious why it doesn't even pay for us to look at those guys. First, they didn't test at the combine, so as productive as they are, they're not going to show up in our our uh, sort of X Y axis production versus athleticism thing anyway. Secondly. There is very little chance that either of those guys are going to be around when the Packers pick in the first round, much less the later rounds, which is probably where they're going to be looking for edge-rushing prospects anyway. Same kind of goes for Julian Aquara and Khalid Kareem out of Notre Dame, Yeter Gross Moss, uh, Matos, excuse me, out of um, Penn State. They also fall into that category. Uh, they're missing one of those two numbers there, so they're not going to show up here. Like them all as prospects in their own ways, Chances are they're not going to be there for the Packers anyway, and they're missing on on some of the data that would allow, allow them to show up in our in our analysis here anyway. Finally, A.J. Epinesa out of Iowa is kind of the opposite problem. He has some great productivity numbers, but athleticism-wise, he kind of stumbled at the combine, did not test very well. So he does not show up in our sort of um, cutoffs here either. That's not to say he's not a good prospect, I would be leery of taking a guy like him in the first or second round, which is probably where he's going to have to go. So we take some of those guys out because they're probably not going to be there for the Packers anyway, and I'm not sure they should be looking at edge rusher early on, regardless of who's available. I mean, if Chase Young, for whatever reason, falls to 30, by all means take him, uh, figure it out from there. But given that he's probably going to be off the board by number three, I don't think we need to waste a lot of time talking about what a good prospect he is. Who are some guys we're talking about? Let's start way down in Florida, the land of coronavirus, alligators, and hurricanes. Uh, Jabari Zuniga out of Florida, six foot three, two hundred sixty-four pound edge rushing prospect, one of the best testers at the combine, with a relative athletic score of nine point seven four, also fairly productive, with a PR of one point three nine. What's the deal here? To me, Mister Zuniga looks like a mini version of a defensive tackle, a little bit squatty powerful guy 
Not super tall at six foot three for an edge rusher, but not necessarily short either. Very, very good athlete. Not just a good relative athletic score, but a good performer in nearly all of the combine drills. He is called an edge rusher basically because he's too small to fit in anywhere else. He's not really long enough to be a 4-3 defensive end, not really thick enough to be an interior defensive lineman. So you stick him on the edge of your formation and he rushes the passer. You got to like his production doing that. He does put up some pretty good numbers. In his career at Florida, he had 18 and a half sacks. That's pretty good, along with 33 tackles for loss. But also, that's not elite level either. He's also had some recurring injuries to be aware of. Uh, some lower body stuff, ankle stuff, and I'm always leery of guys with one, recurring injuries, two, recurring injuries in your lower body. That's something that that sticks out as a major red flag to me. Zuniga strikes me as a good example of a guy where the spreadsheet returns a guy that you don't necessarily love, no matter what the numbers say. However, the numbers are good enough with Zuniga here that I think you got to pay attention to him in the draft. So keep an eye on him. Uh, Probably not an early prospect. Again, not a first or second rounder, but if he's there in the third round, then you start getting interested. Moving on, sticking with Florida, Jonathan Garvin is a six foot four, 263 pound edge rusher. He is also over the 9.0 threshold in relative athletic score, but not quite as productive as his predecessor here. He only had 29 tackles for loss and 12 and a half sacks, giving him a 1.29 PR. What's his deal? This is a traits over production guy. You're buying a low here if you're going with Mr. Garvin. He's produced, but it's sort of been like steady, moderate production as opposing as opposed to producing a lot in a short period of time. I like his length. I don't like that he's a little bit light for his height weight combo. You weighed in at 263 again at the combine. You're probably hoping for more like 270, 275 for the kind of edge rusher the Packers tend to use, which I think is more like a traditional defensive end than the stand-up speed-based like Clay Matthews type. Just my perception, I think the Packers look for a little bit thicker guy uh, than Garvin. He projects as like a late day two early day three guy, which I think is the sort of prospect the Packers should really be eyeballing. So we're looking for lottery tickets in the draft, I think, at at edge rusher. And if you look at him as a lottery pick, he seems like the hundreds of millions of dollars or like tens of millions of dollars style lottery pick as opposed to like a $200 scratch off or something like that. He's the, he's the big payout lottery pick as opposed to um, the, the chump change, the scratch off, whatever. Um, I don't know if that analogy works. I'm not super familiar with 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 playing the lottery. I've ne- I've never really done it. I didn't. I've never even done an office pool. Maybe I should sometime. I always feel like, am I going to be the idiot here who's the one person at work who doesn't get to retire instantly because they missed out on tens of millions of dollars in the lottery? I hope not. Um, I would rather get something from McDonald's on the dollar menu than than enter the lottery. Anyway, that has been John's lottery t- takes. Garvin is a low payout lottery ticket, or excuse me, a high payout lottery ticket, a lottery ticket nonetheless. And uh, that's the sort of guy I think the Packers are going to end up looking for if they want to go towards an edge rusher in the draft. Moving right along, let's talk about Curtis Weaver out of Boise State. Shortish guy for the edge, six foot two, 265 pounds. Not a world-destroying athlete like these previous two prospects, but insanely 
productive, insanely productive. 47 and a half tackles for loss, 34 sacks. That is not a typo. He is a good athlete, not a great athlete. Kind of a can do above average in all the tests sort of guy. Not somebody who's going to like run a four six or four five at 270 pounds in uh, in the 40. But again, insanely productive. Not so much against the run, but good against the pass. He, if you watch him play, he kind of looks like a muscled up Carl Bradford. Uh, take that however you will. It might be a red flag. Might just be a guy schemed into a similar situation as Bradford always seemed to be. Um, but how can you how can you argue with that kind of productive? Sure, he wasn't playing against necessarily like SEC caliber competition at Boise State, uh, but putting up that amount of sacks at any level of college football football um, is worth another look. And I think Weaver wouldn't be on my like short list of edge prospects, but I'll be interested to see where he lands nonetheless. Alton Robinson out of Syracuse is a lot more similar to the early guys on our list here. Six foot three, 264 pounds. We've got a bunch of guys that are within like a pound or two of that exact height and weight. Uh, again, not like a blow you out of the water type athlete, but pretty good and pretty productive. 19 sacks, two, 32 tackles for loss. He's like the long version of Curtis Weaver. He's only an inch taller, but if you look at the video, you'll see a difference in length, just angular build, longer arms. Take a look at that. He, like a couple of the other previous guys on the list, seems like evidence of a, of a bit of a weakness in the way that we're approaching edge rushing prospects. Looking at athleticism and producti- uh, production tends to turn up a, guys who, a lot of guys who are interesting because they have super great testing numbers, but then may only be productive because they're athletic. And Robinson seems like he could be that sort of player. Nevertheless, that's not necessarily a bad thing. But I think it's worth noting, and you should manage your expectations accordingly. The big drawback, I think, from Robinson, even with that caveat in there, is that he seems to only be able to do one guy, one thing. Kind of a one-trick pony type guy. A lot of what pops up in scouting reports that you read about Alton Robinson is that he doesn't play strong against the run. He's not the sort of player who bumps inside on on late passing downs, doesn't seem to have the skill set for that. Basically, he just gets to the quarterback going around the outside. Again, not bad, but just buyer beware. Know what you're getting into if you're drafting Alton Robinson. Finally, from our primary list of players. Let's finish by talking about Alex Highsmith out of Charlotte. Six foot three, 248 pound athlete, not an overwhelming athlete with a relative athletic score of 806, but very productive. 47 tackles for loss, 21 sacks. His PR is 1.51. I think with Highsmith, you take a little bit of what they say about Robinson and then say it again here. A little bit light at 248, but a longer edge rusher, which I like. Give me the rangy guys versus the stumpy guys every day. Production could be a little bit of a mirage. He had four and a half sacks against Old Dominion in one game. He had two more against Gardner-Webb in another. That amounts to about 30% of his college total. Buyer beware there. Could just be a, a boom-bust sort of prospect sort of leaning towards the bust. Other guys you should, you should uh, be aware of. Derek Tuska is the first one. I think there's always a sort of guy like this out of North Dakota State every year. Uh, 6'4", 251, pretty good athlete, insanely productive at North Dakota State. 
but maybe not as productive as he should be given his competition. He also is a sort of lottery ticket sort of pick. The ceiling on him is probably more in the hundreds of thousands versus millions of dollars, uh, to continue that analogy. Nevertheless, pretty good athlete, pretty productive. You wonder about making the jump up from uh, North Dakota State to the NFL. Continuing with guys that uh, are interesting but flawed, Travis Gibson out of Tulsa. You want to talk about traits over production. He is traits over production in all capital letters. 9.36 relative athletic score under one in production ratio. That that athletic score is second among edge rushers at the combine. Production ratio, not super great. Listen to his strengths. All right, listen to his strengths from his NFL.com scouting report and tell me how many of them actually have anything to do with playing football. This is how you know he's a traits over production type guy. Strengths. Added nearly 60 pounds at Tulsa and got better each year. Kind of half about football. Emulates brother, who is a big rugged forward at Kansas State. That doesn't have anything to do with anything. First step is long and explosive. Okay, athleticism, not so much football. Long limb frame can overwhelm lesser blockers. Again, his body. Flexible and athletic to wriggle around pass pro. More athleticism than production. Has tools for dangerous stab and run bull, run bull rush. Chip on shoulder matches passion in his play. Longest lateral slide you'll ever see. Ability to stride through gap, leaving tackles behind. When he activates hands, they are quite violent. Reactive agility helps him track and tackle in space. Almost every single thing on that list has to do with how he moves, his athleticism, not what he can actually do on the field. That should be a red flag, but still, you like a guy that's as athletic as Gibson. Finally, Bradley Nye out of Utah. He is the flip side of Gibson production over traits. Whereas Gibson had an athletic score that was over 9, Anae is just over 5, 5.08 to be precise, but very productive with a production ratio of 1.75. I have a soft spot for guys who produce like he did in college, despite not necessarily being more athletic than everybody else. He doesn't have ideal like height-weight characteristics, but still hard to argue with the results. It does come with the caveat of not being against the world's greatest competition playing for Utah, but um, still, there's only so much you can do about who you play against. And he ended up in the position he was in and produced well. So can't fault him for that. So overall, the bottom line for you, who would be most interesting for the Packers to be watching? To recap, this process highlights, I think, a lot of high-ceiling, low-floor type players. That's a boom-or-bust type player, a guy who's super athletic but hasn't necessarily put it together super consistently in college or maybe has just produced because he is super athletic. I think that kind of works in the Packers' favor since that's what they should be looking for given where they're going to be picking and probably what they're going to be able to get given what they're given where they're going to be picking. And I'm thinking like late day two early to middle day three type prospects. So with with that in mind, who should they be who should they be taking? I think you start with Jabari Zuniga. I think that he's the safest of the lottery picks. Then you go to Jonathan Garvin, probably the highest payout of the lottery picks. Derek Tuska might be on your list because you know he's going to be there if you're looking to pick on day three. And then finally, Bradley Anai, because first you know he'll be there, then you know what he is as a player. And I like the idea of him being like the third of three edge rushers, maybe bumping inside and leaving Zedarius Smith outside or vice versa, uh, just having the versatility to do uh, whatever the Packers need to be done 
rushing from the edge. What do you think? Who did we miss? Who would you like the Packers to be taking a look at in the draft? Let us know wherever you happen to find this episode, and we will do follow-up questions and answers about whatever edge-rushing prospect you'd like us to take a look at. We're going to be looking at a couple positions in the near future where guys are not necessarily, or well, where the the characteristics for guys are not necessarily as well defined, and that makes it a little bit harder to evaluate. But we will will try to dive in and do our best, and and let us know um, again all throughout this process who you think we should be looking at. I would love to look at guys uh, at your request. Also, should mention later this week we're going to be doing the first chapter of our Blue 58 book club. We are reading through Keep Take Your Eye Off the Ball. If you haven't bought that yet, go ahead and look it up and buy it. You should be able to get it to you. If you want to join in late, uh, go ahead and do that as well. We would love to have you along for that discussion. Everything that we do here, I think, is going to help us advance this conversation around the Packers, help everybody talk about the Packers in a smarter way and ultimately become a smarter Packers fan. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I've been your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.